Welcome to Opine Nation. I'm Lehman. And I'm Lynn. And we're here to tackle life's tough and humorous topics. We're not experts, but we have experiences and opinions galore. <laughs> See, I didn't laugh that time. I couldn't help it. I know. I know. It's a, uh, you know, <laughs> if I had to bet whether or not you're going to laugh, it's a pretty safe bet you're going to laugh. <laughs> I know. I think it's a nervous habit. It's fine. It's fine. Um, so how Hi, are friend. you? I'm good. Uh, oh, hello. <laughs> hello. Um, <sighs> I'm good. As am I. I'm good. I actually, I need to address something. Uh-oh. My, uh, because I'm from the Midwest. Yes. Me, this like cold snap in December mm-hmm. is really, um, it's grating on me. Okay. And it's, I think last week we talked about like that sense of doom that I have all winter long. Yep. It's like already setting in. Uh-oh. And normally I can stave it off till like at least after the new, the new year. Okay. But like it's been cold. It was 40 degrees today. That's amazing. I don't think so. Like the snow, the snow, the shitty snow we got that was like ice and snow combo it's still here. Well, yeah. <laughs> and normally it would have melted off like this early in December. Oh, okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Do we want to tell everybody how we're doing this today? I think we should. We've got, this is new. This is, this is, this is new. This is uh gigantic for us. This is huge. Yeah. You're still in Bowdoin. I'm still in Bowdoin. I'm in Biddeford. Yep. 50 miles apart. And yep. we have someone who's even further away. No. Sister. Hi. <laughs> Where are you? I am in Colorado, outside of Denver. Wow. That's so cool. And we're just like talking on the phone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty simple technology. Uh we are doing a three-way call which was huge when the phone company offered it back in the day when I was 13 years old. Um yes. but modern technology it's way easier to do. So here we are on a three-way call recording a podcast. It's awesome. It's amazing. So, Good. Well, sister, thank you for joining us. I guess not everyone will call you sister. Um, I do have a name. You do have a real name. I think it's mom. Share with us. Oh yeah. (laughs) Another name you go by, (laughs) or you could call me Sarah. Okay, so I'm going to start off uh, by asking Sarah, how do you know Lynn's? She is my sister of 34 and a half years. Oh, so if I'm doing the math correctly, she's your older sister. Uh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And if my personality didn't give away that I was in the older child. Yeah. Now we all know. <laughs> 
So I am extremely thankful that you were able to get on and call us tonight. Now, out in Colorado, what are you, an hour behind us? Uh, two. Two. Okay. Oh, so it's only like six, it's almost 645 there. Yeah, which is great for me because uh, if it were your time here, I couldn't do it. I'd what? be going to bed. Oh, are you a... Uh... You go to bed at... I'm sorry. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> you go to bed at 8.30 at night. I just finished working seven nights in a row. It's my first oh. night off, so I'm ready for sleep. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Okay, so we're keeping you up. Yeah, but it's okay. I have four baskets of laundry I'm folding while we talk. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Way to be productive. <laughs> You know what I do while we talk? Hmm. I watch the back of Yoshi's head while he's playing uh, some game where he's fighting creatures and he has a bear that follows him around when he's playing with his best friend in Chicago. Oh. Yeah. Um, Not folding laundry. I'm not doing anything productive but drinking wine. I was going to say, I was going to say, like, what about the wine drinking? (laughs) I can't even remember what this game is called. It's so silly, but... Um, so both of you know this already, but I had an extreme day yesterday. You? No. It was like, (laughs) yeah, it was like straight out of Adventures of Momming. Okay. Day yesterday. Um, and the reason I know that it's still so cold in December is because we still have ice in our backyard. And yesterday, Forrest was outside with his hands in his pockets because he didn't wear mittens. And we were just kind of out there. I was like cleaning out the chicken coop and stuff. And I I came around to the front of the house and he was still in the back. And then I, I came inside and I look out the back door and I see Forrest kneeling on the ground with his hand to his head and I didn't even hear him crying. And I just, I'm like probably, I don't know, 50 feet away. I just see blood gushing out of his head. And then I hear him crying. And I'm like running toward him as fast as I can. And he had split his eyebrow open and gashed his face because he slipped on the ice patch that he was playing on with his hands in his pockets. <laughs> so his face caught him. So anyway... You know, I, like, calmed myself down so I could, like, calm him down. There's blood all over both of us. Yoshi's home. Then there's blood all over him because he ran out right after me. And I, like, immediately was like, okay, uh, wet rag. Snap. <laughs> Got it. Car seat in the car because we, we only have one car seat. So we, like, changed it out of the cars a lot. And so it was in the mudroom. So I'm like, car seat in the car. Done. Car warming up. Done. Let's get him. Let's go. Like, we just left. And we headed to the urgent care, and they sent us away with a bleeding child. <laughs> they sent us away because they are only taking people with COVID. So then, That's crazy. Crazy. I'm sure the receptionist, who has a terrible job of telling these two scared parents with their bleeding child that they can't take, like, that's a terrible thing for her to have to tell us. But also, it just goes to show how terrible our system is designed for them to be, be able to turn us away. 
Yeah. Because they're so overwhelmed with COVID only. So we were on our way to the emergency room because we called our primary care and she was like, we can't, all we're going to do is assess whether he needs stitches or not. We're not going to do it here. I texted my sister, Sarah, do you want to tell Lehman what you told me to do? <laughs> well, I told her she could try super gluing it. Yep. <laughs> if the bleeding was stopped. That makes okay. sense. It makes sense when you're my sister, but sister, what do you do for work? So I'm a nurse and I super glue people often. (laughs) Right. So I don't because I'm a special ed teacher. (laughs) (laughs) So Sarah texts me that and I'm like, uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) We're on our way to the emergency room. And then, um, actually some of my teacher friends were like, it's, it's better if you go to convenient MD Mm-hmm. And I like in the Midwest, I don't know that we have the difference of an urgent care versus a convenient MD. I think they're the same. And so we just say, like, I just call everything an urgent care. Um, But apparently it's different because it's like either owned by the hospital or it's this separate group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ur- so anyway, we- urgent care is owned by the hospital. Convenient MD is a private, like it's not a part of the hospital system. Okay. Yeah. I don't know that there's a difference in the Midwest. Okay. Sister, do you know? I've never heard of a convenient MD. Yeah, it's a specific brand. It's like a Rite Aid or a Walgreens instead of just like the pharmacy. Oh, okay. So any, so like, I, that's why we always just call them urgent care because there's like different brands of them. But anyway, we essentially went to an urgent care. And instead of the ER, and we were there, we waited in the lobby for close to two hours. Um, And at that point, they had a two to three hour wait. And they had dozens and dozens and dozens of people coming in to get COVID tested with either symptoms or a direct contact of someone who had COVID. But they made all those people wait out in their cars for three hours before <laughs> they could get tested. So anyway, we get in we get in the back after like two hours of waiting. We get in the back room and the nurse was super nice. And all he did was clean the wound and super glue his eyebrow <laughs> together. And I was thinking to myself, well, shoot, my sister was right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Next time I might actually just try that. Yeah, I'm but... sorry I don't live by you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really wished you were here. I mean, I wish you were here always, but in that moment, I was like, damn it, if Sarah was here and, like, we were in each other's bubbles, I could just go to your house and you could do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the doctor's office has medical super glue. I, I believe there is a difference. <laughs> I have to say, Jason, yeah. I use regular old super glue. Yeah, no. Now, yeah. There, there is medical super glue, but for some reason we can't get any. It's very <laughs> strange. And so we just use regular super glue. You're serious. I'm 100% serious. It, just, it saves people a trip to the ER. Yep. 
I've done it oh numerous. God. Yeah, I've done it numerous times cutting my hands open. Like it's just easier to hold the wound closed and super glue it, and then you don't have to worry about it. And you know, you got a cool story to tell people. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, next time I'll know. I mean, this kid's a trooper, though. He like, he he's great. His attitude is great through it. He like didn't, he, he hardly cried. He was super brave. He didn't even flinch. Like he was just so good about the whole thing. He was very patient in the lobby. He just like was a puddle of mush in my lap. Anyway, that was my harrowing story of yesterday, which is really Forrest's harrowing story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's a lot more. But I'll never forget. Yeah. Like, when he's like 15, you're going to have to remind him that it happened because he's going to forget about it. Right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> right. Well, anyway, thanks for letting me. That's how I know that it's still cold because we had a falling incident in the middle of December. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I got there. <laughs> uh, no, it's great. Thanks for listening. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, yeah, that's, a. well, your story is amazing. What happened to Forrest is not amazing. Yeah, Um, it does just, he's such an amazing kid though. And like, I'm in awe of him on a regular basis, but in moments like that, like where he really is just calm, cool and collected, I'm like, damn, I'm doing like a good job. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now, Sarah, do you have any kids? Yes, I have a four-year-old son. He's 10 weeks older than Forrest. Okay. And I have an eight-month-old daughter. Oh, wow. She's eight months old now? Yeah. She's so big. Today, she was standing without holding on to anything for like, I don't know, a whole second or something. Oh, my gosh. It was cool. Wow. So, Sarah's kids, like, do things very fast. In terms of like when they're developmentally supposed to be doing physical things. Mm-hmm. But this baby, man, she is just like, she's got a big brother to keep up with. <laughs> I haven't even yes. met her yet because she was born in COVID times. She's pretty cool. She definitely wants to keep up with Ben. I love it. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Um... Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and the timing of, of Sarah and I being pregnant together was something special. <laughs> yeah. Which like, we'll probably never forget. I mean, we won't ever forget that either. Yeah. What are the chances of you guys being pregnant so close to each other? Sister, do you want to tell how all that went down? Yeah, I, I would like to hear this, please. Because okay. I don't know if you know. I don't. Okay. So I moved here to Denver, Colorado. And then my sister said, what a great idea. I'm going to move to Denver, Colorado. <laughs> and so, and before she Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> but there was a backstory to that. There was, like, reasons. I don't even know the reasons. <laughs> you don't? Like, well, we just, no. Like, what reasons? Okay. Oh, I'll just fill in the blanks here. Okay. Okay, so Yosh and I were living in D.C., but we were, like, pretty sure we wanted to leave but we didn't know where we wanted to go and we were like considering leaving the country but then you moved to Colorado and then you got pregnant yeah and then I was like I felt this very strong urge to be with you because 
you had just moved there and you didn't know anybody and we missed each other. And so I was like, I'll just go check out Colorado and like use it as research to see if we want to live there. I feel like for me, yeah, all that's true. Except in my head, I thought like, oh, she's moved, like not just research, like she's finding a spot. Just oh. so you know, just so you know, the sadness <laughs> is still there. <laughs> that then you moved, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. So, yes, we wanted to be by each other. You were looking to move somewhere anyway, and so you came and you stayed with us. <laughs> and then you started getting really nauseous. I couldn't even <laughs> have coffee in the morning. And so next thing you know, we like rule a bunch of things out and you take a pregnancy test and you're pregnant. You were like, you might be pregnant. And I was like, no, that's not, that's not even possible. And you were like, I think it is. And you gave me tests to take. I took one in the morning before we went to work. We drove to work together because I didn't have a car. So I was teaching and Sarah was at a um, assisted living facility. And so, and we both had day jobs. And so we would drive to work together and you would drop me off. And I took it in the morning and I didn't believe it, but I got to school that day and my kids were like, Miss McDonough, what's wrong with you? I was green for days. I was so sick. And then I took one when I got home that afternoon and the answer on the test was the same. <laughs> we were like, Lynn, I'm pretty sure this means what it says it means. <laughs> and sure as shit, <laughs> then we were both pregnant. <laughs> huh. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah got really tired during her pregnancy, like really tired. Well, I am always like before kids, I was, well, even now I'm always a tired person. (laughs) Yeah, you do. Anyway. And so, yes, that first pregnancy, I really just wanted to sleep. (laughs) And not, not me, but I just was sick. I was just really nauseous the whole time. I was nauseous for months. Anyway, so after I found out I was pregnant, I left you. (laughs) Yeah, you just left me high and dry here. (laughs) And uh, went and had I went back to D.C. Yeah. But you had been it in August. Yeah. You got to do it all before me, which was good because I feel like I learned a lot from you. And then I had Forrest 10 weeks later. Yeah. And they're, uh, it's pretty cool, even though it's sad that they don't get to see each other more often, especially <sighs> right now. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty cool. They love each other so much, even even as far apart, right? Virtually. Hmm. Did you get your snowman card yet? Nope. Okay, <laughs> we may do snow people cards. Oh, cool. 
Uh, that's amazing. Um, the boys do a good job of like sending each other little presents. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. In the mail. Well, that's, it's kind of funny. So my my cousin Billy, he was born in August, and I was born in November. So you know, kind of you know, kind just, of the same. Yeah. Yeah. Almost the same. Um, like grew up together, like really close relationship and everything. So it's kind of cool to have a cousin that's so close in age because there's not like, I don't know, you just get to do everything together. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty awesome to have a cousin that close in age. a real compelling argument to move to Maine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that really is like Maine's like the best state ever. Um, especially like the southern Maine area, like on the oceans. Pretty cool. I do Tell just want to take a moment to say that before today, the last few days were 64 degrees. Okay. Just so you know. But you had a snowstorm in November. Yeah. Right. Your weather is wild over there. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so do you I know? I don't think you'll ever move to Maine, but you know, you're always welcome. Thank you. <laughs> you know that thank you really was just no i will never move to man <laughs> for real my sister hasn't even visited maine yet because when we moved here we both had little tiny babies yeah yeah and it's like i mean props to all those people who travel with children because like it wasn't fun yeah <laughs> no and now with two of them Whew. oh my gosh and forget it's it it's not cheap no. It's no. not cheap. And it's my, I mean, Sarah has always lived either in Kansas or Colorado. Okay. And I'm the one that moved away and like went east and just like kept going further east. And now I'm like north and east. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm the one that is, you know, not centrally located. No, you're not. But I will say, uh, my wife Noelle uh, lived in Breckenridge, Colorado. Oh, okay. So, um, but she says Maine is better. Just, just throwing that out there. Okay, good to know. <laughs> I'm trying to make a case for you. I think if we got guys. them out here, like the whole family, you guys would love it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we want to visit. Yeah. It, it, it was our turn to visit. We had this plan where you visited one year and then the next year we were going to visit you. And then the next year we were going to go to a neutral place to have yeah. fun and then keep repeating that. And um, things went to the wayside. But one yeah. day we'll <laughs> get back on that plan. <laughs> okay. We <laughs> um, meant. Yes. Why did we want my sister to come on to our show? Well, um, so you uh, told me, you, um, and it was not on the podcast. Uh, we were just brainstorming uh, one night, like, hey, what are we going to do in season two? Oh, yeah. I was telling another listener who was asking me, she was like, how do you guys, it's amazing that you can spend that much time on the phone together. Yeah. 
And I'm like, yeah, it's really cool. And even on the nights where we're not podcasting, a lot of times we chose to talk to each other anyway. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when, um, when we take a month okay, break. Okay, so it was one of yeah. those times. Yep. It was during our month break and we were brainstorming like, what can we do for season two? And yeah. you threw out the idea of like, we need to get some guests. Um, I was like, yep, spectacular. Uh, you already had in mind your friend. Tatiana. Tatiana. Um, and I was like, yep, spectacular. Uh, we had Chris because, you know, he gets yep. talked about every podcast anyway. Yep. Um, and my sister because yeah. my sister listens all the way in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. You were like, my sister listens all the time. So I asked the question like, well, what does your sister do? Cause, oh, yeah. Because I was like, okay, let's have her on. But what does she do? Like, is there something she can have an opinion on? And, sister, do you have opinions? Yeah. <laughs> I have some opinions. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's genetic. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so I don't like, it's, it's not my story to tell. So Sarah, I know you're a nurse, but what do you specifically do right now? So I'm a hospice nurse and I, my, um, position is I do seven nights on seven nights off, uh, in an on-call role. So I'm home uh, until I'm called out, I um, I start at 5 p.m. and I go till 8 a.m. Seven nights in a row, and it's all seniors. Our hospice is all 65 or older, um, but I go to people's homes or assisted livings or nursing homes uh, when they need me. So maybe they've had a fall, or they have a change of condition like they're nauseous or having pain, or they're dying. Or they've died. And then they and go see Sarah, them. Sarah, you use this term that like was kind of new to me, but it makes a lot of sense when you say it. You you say this word, this phrase, actively dying. And like there are clear signs to that. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, when someone's actively dying, we're looking at, um, that means we're saying that death is imminent which for us means 24 to 48 hours. Oh, our wow. Best guess. Yeah. How so, often is that accurate? Um, gosh, uh, most of the time. I'd say probably, well, maybe 80% of the time. And then maybe another 15% might hang on an extra day. And then okay. another few random cases, someone holds on in that same position for like five days and it feels like eternity for the families. Yeah. Um, but you, so, and we try to get people on way before then so that not necessarily me, but the fam, uh, the um, daytime nurses and staff get to know the families and the patients and stuff. Um, but in my role, I just really see people if they have problems or if they're at that actively dying. Um, so I see a lot of those cases. Yeah. Wow. I know. I, I could never do what you do. And I think it's funny because I think you've said the same thing to me before. And I don't, I feel like my job is not anywhere near as heart-wrenching as yours yeah. is. 
Well, the thing about it is, so I used to do hospice and I was a day nurse where I got to build those relationships and get to know these people for the six months or even the year that they were on our service. And that was really rewarding. This particular job um, is not rewarding in that way because I don't get to know the families. I don't know these patients, um, which is hard because um, then I'm just doing a job. But it also makes it easier to compartmentalize Mm. and walk away from it at the end of my day because I didn't know that person. Mm -hmm. Um, And... um, some days that's easier. Like this week that I just finished was the hardest week I've ever had at work. Yeah. Um, it was all COVID. <laughs> um, and it it's ugly and it's really sad what's happening to these seniors uh, locked in these nursing homes all alone since March without any visitors allowed. Yeah. Um, and so it is hard. But uh, but because I don't know them, it's, it makes it easier. Right. You're able to like separate from it a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and I do this job for a reason and I know it's not forever. I do this because I want to be home with my babies. So, you know, my four-year-old, um, be real happy for him to go have fun somewhere else (laughs) I love him so much he's incredible (laughs) but um you know I don't need to be here every day but I am but um you know now with this baby of course I want to be here for her too so it's um I'm doing it for a reason and that helps me keep doing it because it's really a burnout position. You're working alone. You don't have any support. um, You're just seeing. You don't even see any like. Yeah. I don't see any living human beings. Right. Um, And then I come home to parent all day. So that's um, hard. It's a, it's definitely a burnout job. I can't believe I've been doing it for four years. Right, but, you started this after Bennett was born, so you could still be at home with him. Yeah, I yeah. just, you know, every time I'm like, oh my gosh, this job is terrible. I can't do this anymore. Um, well, I do have a really good boss, so I call her, and she um, talks to me when I need it and encourages me um, and gives me that support. But also, I just come home and hug my babies and just try to focus in on that gratitude that I get to be with them every day. Oh, you're gonna make me cry. (laughs) That's, that's nice to hear. Yeah. It's hard for me as your sister to hear you say that there's like no support there, though. And I know you and I have talked about that, like privately, like, I've heard that in from other nurses too, that there is no support for you all. Um, especially when you're dealing with death and especially at the rate in which you're dealing with it, with it now. Yeah. So there's no one to talk to. There's no like hospice nurse hangout sesh for you to all like process that. Yeah. Nobody checks in on us or anything. Um, Except I will say like my boss and she's not even my direct boss. She's like my direct boss is a nurse. The the lady who's supportive is the executive director. So she's not a nurse. She's in charge of our whole um, 
division. Um, and she's supportive. Uh, and so actually, sister had updated you from the other day, but I ended up talking with her. Mm-hmm. And um, she just gave me a lot of support, which she always has these four years along. I've known her before I went into the role. She's mm-hmm. actually what helped bring me into this position. Um, but other than her, there's no support. Now, she did say last night when we talked, like she just had a team with uh, a team meeting with our social workers and chaplains, um, music therapists, because they're supposed to be on call with us overnight. Um, someone as our backup for that emotional support, whether that's for us or the families. Um, mm-hmm. They haven't really been. So she had a meeting with them Monday and just said, like, you know, these times are crazy. We've never seen anything like this. We've never seen all this death um, and all these sad situations. So she really, um, uh, you know, told them they're going to need to step it up and do what they so can do they have to a support schedule us. For their, do they have a schedule for their on, on-call support for they, you guys? Yeah, they do. So there's always, and there always has been, someone on on backup with me. Um, the trouble is you're made to feel um, pretty badly if you call them in the middle of the night. What? Um, because they also, you know, they work the daytime, too. They're picking this up as their extra, not like me where this is my full-time job. So, now they're getting paid, but um, right. you wouldn't think they'd complain too much. Um, but, yeah, the support not they just don't want to be out. They'll make you feel real bad for it. And this has been um, the whole time I've been here. Right, across so, the board. Yeah. Um, so, it's, it's so really as interesting. A, as a person who's working directly in this healthcare system, how do you feel it's going? Like with COVID? The system. Oh. Like, I am an outsider. Even when I, even when I am someone's, you know, birth doula, I'm an outsider to the system, but I can see the structure of how, the hierarchy of how things work, and I can see the places that, that aren't working Mm. to support the clients and then to support the next level up is is the frontline workers is that is you guys the nurses yeah the aides the nurses the custodians you know it's all the people who are like getting their hands dirty so i'm wondering if 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 you see any cracks in the system as a whole mm, i mean well like hospice in general i do think is a wonderful thing yeah but um you know, even it's changed over the years to, like, they used to provide what's called continuous care, where we yes. sit. Oh, we have the same phrase in the birth world. Oh, okay. So it's, so then you're there with them for, like, yes. You there's no break. You're just there yes. with them. Yes. Until the process is over. Exactly. Yes. And when I started as a case manager, which means a daytime nurse in hospice, um, eight years ago. When I started with my company, um, we did that. And now we don't. Mm. And um, it all comes down to money. Is that um, everywhere or is that your company? The company you work for? 
Well, I'm not sure. I okay. think it's everywhere because even when I was in management four years ago at um, the nursing unit, um, there were other hospice companies in there seeing okay. patients, and I never saw continuous care. Interesting. Um, when I hear stories of hospice nurses, I hear the continuous care stories, and I hear how grateful the families are for their hospice nurse. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah. So, I mean, that's definitely a breakdown and that's really sad because I'm not sure. I mean, you know, obviously I have no idea what it takes to run a hospice, but they get, they get paid pretty well from the government on a daily stipend that someone's on, um, our census. Um, but again, I don't know what it takes to run it. So that's uh, that's one breakdown. And then um, just like for us personally is there's no like there's no nurse backup. So let's yeah. say I have three visits at one time. There's nobody else. So if you're just hurt yourself or like you're in severe pain or you're throwing up and you need a nurse to come see you, if. I have two other people in front of you during the night. You're just going to wait for me. Mm-hmm. And I drive all around the city. Long. Right. Yeah. So that's um, like hard for families. Um, yeah. You know, especially when the, if the person's in a facility with a nurse, it's not really a big deal, but if they're at home, uh, yeah. that is because even something that's seen like, as simple to me, like, oh, they're nauseous, let's do this, that could be a big deal to a family member that's reaching caregiver burnout. Right. Dang. Hmm. So I, when I was at the urgent care yesterday, there was a guy who came in, he was an older gentleman who used a walker to get around, and he was in the lobby with us, and I heard the whole story. Um and he was explaining that he had had surgery on Tuesday and he was there because he wanted help changing his dressing, his wound dressing. And he couldn't reach the spot where it was. And they told him he could either wait three hours or he would have to come back another day. And he ended up leaving without without being able to see anyone. Oh, wow. And what kills me about that is I just am thinking like, well, obviously, the problem here is, like, we value young, able-bodied people, and we we aren't valuing our elders and those who, who you know, physically need us to help care for them. Yeah, I mean... They're like, right. life isn't as valuable as, as you or me, or even Jason, you know all in our 30s and 40s yeah there's just so many hoops to jump through like what I think of first when you tell that story is that oh he needs home health he needs a home health nurse to come see Mm -hmm. him which Medicare pays for um but you have to jump through all the right hoops so he would have to see his primary care physician and get the referral be evaluated and be started on services okay but what about the person who like did the surgery couldn't they have set that up with like before or even after surgery so that when he got home that would already be in place for him 
Yeah. So that is the trouble is when you're leaving these, um, like in his case, it's home health. We see the same thing with hospice where somebody goes to the hospital and they're dying. And um, to us, that's very clear. I mean, right away you can Mm -hmm. see, oh, this person's dying. Um, But they don't set them up with hospice or, um, or any pain meds. You know, I know we're in a pain med crisis, but uh, if you're old and dying and in pain, let's go ahead and give you some morphine. Um, And, uh, and they just send them away with nothing. So then like they're waiting, then they don't get on hospice until like that very same day they're dying and maybe we get like one dose of medicine in them before they die and oh. probably the admission paperwork wasn't even finished yet <laughs> wow it just breaks my heart how all this happens and you know i've got there's a lot of i i believe hospitals are there for a reason and i think they save people's lives and then i also believe that I would rather birth at home and I would rather die at home because of all of the things you just said. Yeah. Because because I'm just thinking like it's such an intimate, all of that is such an intimate process and it's not always like this medical emergency, which is what the hospitals are designed to do. Like they're designed to, to save a life when it's, you know, a, a medical emergency. Yeah, but I don't think they always have like the best and nor are they trained to have like the best like I'm going to care for you from one human to another. Yeah, it's really sad. And then you just you just don't get people who are the healthcare system is so overrun, especially right now. Yeah, you just don't get people who take the time um, to well, they don't, think and they ahead. Don't have it. Like they, yeah, they don't have the time um, or, and, or maybe they're not critical thinkers to like think ahead right now. It is that they don't have (laughs) time. Um, We run into that in teaching too. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, they're like, okay, I fixed you right now. You can go home. You're fixed. Right. 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 What about tomorrow or next week? Well, yes, I do think that though because of the way like the hospitals and the big like medical practices are paid for right like they they are incentivized to see more people and not spend as much time with one person I know a pediatrician who told me one time that he sees what did he say he said some very high number of number of patients he sees in a day It might've been 18. It might've been 30. I don't know. We could do the math if we wanted to. And I said, so how is that even possible? Like there isn't even enough hours in the day to see that many people. And he said, well, I only have to see them for like 15 minutes. And I was like, how do you even know somebody in 15 minutes? He was like, well, I don't really, I just like fix their problem. And then I send them home a pediatrician. And I was like, oh, I'm really glad in the choice that I have made for who I send Forrest to see once a year because she spends an entire hour with us. A whole hour. Just for one person. And I think the level of care 
that you receive in an hour is a lot different than the level of care you receive in 15 minutes. Oh, definitely. But he's getting paid to see more patients. Like the more patients he sees, the more he gets paid. Yeah. Whereas my, my PCP is, I mean, she can only see what, like six people a day and maybe you can squeeze in an emergency. It's so yeah. interesting to me how all of this works. And I am, I just think um, we need, we just need to take care of people like you. <laughs> <laughs> we need to take care of people like you. And, you know, it's all over social media, like all these nurses in tears, just like in tears watching people die. And then watching family members of that person or people, other people in the same exact community, not taking this seriously when that nurse has been working for, you know, four weeks straight with like no break and like dozens of deaths every day. I just can't even imagine what it's like. So I like thanked the two nurses that worked with us yesterday, urgent care. (laughs) A bajillion Aww. times. Like, thank you so much for what you're doing. That's nice. Yeah, it's. Were they in a bunch of PPE? What What were they in? Um, when they were seeing, because we didn't have any symptoms and we weren't there for a test, and we none of us had a fever, mm-hmm. they just had masks and gloves. Okay. Um. That's yeah. That's good. That's um. Well, even that, I mean, you guys probably know because I'm sure you wear a mask when you go places or when you teach. Everywhere. Yeah. Even that gets hard at the end of the day. Like, in the beginning, it's not so bad. And then, like, halfway through, you're like, oh, my gosh, I need to get this thing off my face. Wearing a mask for, like, three hours now is, like, a piece of cake. Yeah. Because after being in school all day, like, I go home and I'm, like, stretching my face in weird ways. Like, in the car, I'm, like, scrunching my nose and stretching it out long. And I'm, like, pulling on my ears in all different directions because it hurts. It's heavy. Yeah. So, yeah. when I go to work, I'm in an N95 mask. Okay. Scientific goggles. <laughs> and I say that meaning the kind that seal around your eyes, not just, like, <laughs> the kind you're going to wear to cut a board in your garage. Okay. Um, a face shield, a hair cover, a gown, gloves, and booties. Wow. And it's really hard to see. Yeah. And it's really hard to breathe. Yeah. Um, and it kind of like weighs on your head. It's like, I mean, it can't even weigh a pound, but it's like at the end of the day, like my neck like feels like it's been holding up 10 pounds the whole day. Like, just from my yeah. forehead <laughs> yeah so yeah and I have to because we go to so many different places and see so many different people I have to wear that every place I go right so you wear it like in that building and then you strip that all down yeah and I'm assuming it's all disposable yeah right well, so that well, all gets thrown away yes and no because of <laughs> the crisis we have to reuse our N95s if the person wasn't confirmed positive. Then it goes in a bag labeled with either their name or the building name, depending on the circumstances. 
um, some of them you wear for anybody in that building if there's no positive cases. Um, so my trunk so... is filled with boxes of supplies, boxes of PPE, and now a box of baggies filled with N95 masks that I'm supposed to dig through. And I'm talking like 40 um, <clears throat> and find the right one in the middle of the night when my eyes are half shut. because there aren't enough masks for you guys yeah wow yeah and so and last time i went to my office to restock they were like "Ooh, i can only give you four of these i was like what you know like i do our on-call position so i see our whole caseload of 120 patients whoever calls at night and you live in a part of the country that still doesn't even believe this is worse than the common cold i don't know the people i hang out with believe in it yeah but um but man it's going things are going south uh these last couple weeks what are the numbers like in colorado honestly i can't look i quit looking it stresses me it gives me a panic attack (laughs) yeah yeah it's just terrifying. If I just don't think about it, it's fine. <laughs> and it's a really great coping mechanism. Just ignore <laughs> Denial. It. Yeah. Um, hmm. but, uh, but I can tell you that. So I was on maternity leave for 12 weeks. I had sunny, of course, you know, and um, April 6th. I had 12 weeks leave after that. And um, during that 12 weeks, I missed the whole wave of outbreaks. So when I got back to work, none of the buildings I went to and none of our home patients had COVID. And I was like, well, that's cool. I missed it all. Right. Right. But now it's back. And every building is just like, all I saw this week was COVID positive people. Um, They're having outbreaks. I mean, I mean, like this one building had six people die on my shifts alone from COVID. Oh my God. Um, and yeah, like they're, I mean, just all their staff has COVID. So then they're short staff. So then the healthy ones are working 18 hour days, you know, 15 days in a row. Mm-hmm. It's really crazy. And I heard something here that if you, if you're a nurse and you're working with COVID positive people and you are also COVID positive, you can continue working because you're all already COVID positive. You know, I, I do wonder about that. So this week was my first time going into an SIU unit, which I don't even know is what that a, means. I'm going to tell you, it's okay. a special, I didn't know either. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, She's in the SIU unit. I was like, Oh, cool. Okay. What's that? Um, Oh, okay. Special inpatient unit. And that is where they are sending all the positive COVID patients that live in the nursing home. So um, sometimes like the building that you live in might have a unit now designated as the SIU. Other times your building might not. And so you might be shipped over to the building, you know, in the next city. So The SIU unit is everyone has COVID. They have these giant, very loud, like deafening fans going with these Mm -hmm. giant tubes uh, to provide negative airflow to suck out the air. 
Right. I, I can't believe the nurses who are working in there day after day. I mean, you're going to have hearing loss real quick. I could not believe how loud it was. Oh my gosh. It's, um, it's like this zippered, like you feel like you're going into space. You have to walk into a chamber. You, um, you know, make sure all your PPEs on and you walk into the next chamber. You have to leave out a different door. There's you, you go into a chamber, you take all your PPEF, you go into the next chamber, you use a machine that sprays a chemical of unknown substance <laughs> uh, on your entire body. And then you go out the chamber outside. Um, wow. It's uh, like, it's some... like anytime you see like movies with Ebola outbreaks. Yeah. What was and that movie that we watched in high school? We read the book Outbreak, I think. You didn't watch, you didn't have much of no. Yeah. Mm-mm. It's fine. He also made me rewrite the Scarlet Letter six times because I was ending my sentences with um, uh, prepositions. That guy. I'll yeah. never end a sentence in a preposition again. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Let me know well, if you guys want me to explain that to you, because I could probably do that for you. <laughs> Not to make light of your subject, sister. No, that's fine. Um, so. Um, okay, so it's like you're in another world. Yeah, and so. What what I found interesting was there were no real like um, directions on what to do. They were just like, okay, exit here, and I was like, oh, okay. And so I like went through the zipper, and then I was like, oh no, what do I do next? And um, they were like, oh, just go use the machine. I was like, oh man, okay, what's a machine? Um, like nobody tells you. And then when and when I went in, so every building we go in. They take your temperature and they ask you, you know, 15 questions. And, um, nobody scanned my temperature. I was like, oh, that's weird. And then I walked in and here's this person just walking down the hall in their regular scrubs, no mask, no goggles. And I'm like, oh, what? What's happening? And I, I'm still not sure what was happening there. They have agency <laughs> in there, which means they don't have enough nurses. So they have reached out to an agency to help staff them. So these nurses don't know the Brookdale rules. That's my company. And they don't uh, care as much. Right, because um, they're not staff employees. They're contracted Exactly. And they might okay. just be there for one shift or they might be there for a couple weeks. Um, We've had similar issues with substitute teachers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so all I can think was like, maybe this person like already had COVID and so like, doesn't matter anymore. I, I'm, doesn't it? Can't we get it again? Yeah. I'm still very confused uh, about okay. what was going on there. Um but uh yeah it's just I'm not even sure the original question you just asked me I don't know I (laughs) but but I did just realize that like for all the bitching Lehman and I have done about COVID you win (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah there's no more like yeah there's no more complaints I feel like my all my complaints now are like small potatoes yeah you... you're delicious in their own right but like mm-hmm. yeah you have the big honking one yeah um yeah 
Okay, I, I did ask about the numbers, but you don't know. So we we have reached the 400. Oh, wait, day, wait a second. Like, wait a second. What? So I think your sister will appreciate this. Um, do you know how I know in the state of Maine when our numbers are breaking records, Sarah? <laughs> no. I get a text message from Lynn saying, our number is this today. So our, our first big like number breaking day was like 425 cases. Okay, wait, before that, it was 100-something. Right. And then we jumped 100 in a day. Yeah. We were we were in the 200s for a couple days, and then yeah. we solidly just went to 400. 425 wait. on Monday. Yeah. And this is your whole state? This is our, yeah. So yes. Maine, we only have a million people in the whole state. Yeah, like okay. we don't have, yeah. you have a million people in like your one tiny part of your county. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So Monday, I get this text message have you seen the numbers? And I'm like, nope. Um, and I get the numbers and Tuesday it drops to 274. So there's no Which text was message. still high comparatively over the summer when we Correct. were at 20 or 30 a day. Correct. And then Wednesday we went back into the 400s and I got another text message. So um, it's really easy for me to track in Maine when we're breaking records because I get a text <laughs> message in the morning around nine ish, I would say. Um, so it's, I look, I look every day. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty I amazing. Have to know. Yeah. So Colorado has like almost 4,000 new cases a day right now. Oh, um, yeah, I just looked that up. Um, let's see where I am. Does it break it down by County or city? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so, oh no, this says the same thing. Hmm. Ours breaks yeah, down so by county. I'm, oh, yeah. here we go. Um, okay, Jefferson County, 240 new ones today, or whatever, oh. if this was yesterday or today. I'm not okay, sure. yeah. It's <sighs> scary. So, what does yeah. that mean? What's your like positive rate ours is ours is at like four percent right now hmm. it doesn't matter so much yeah you have so many numbers i i had to quit looking at it. it just really gives me anxiety i should quit looking yeah <laughs> <laughs> i should but it's like a but i think because i'm like i i said this before on the podcast but like i'm working so hard to keep my family and all of the kids that I'm working with safe that like it really fucking matters to me like what I do outside of school mm -hmm. and and then I see all of them and their families like not making the same decisions that I'm making and it and it makes me feel like they don't care about my life as much as I care about theirs yeah so I look yeah. because I'm in a position of like potentially exposing, you know, up to 30 kids in a day and, and well, up to 30 people in a day, like in our, my little bubble that I work in. And I don't know that everyone in that bubble is like also giving me the same credence. Yeah. That's, I mean, the, that's what bothers me about it. So that's why I look. Yeah. That would be definitely that would that would 
uh, makes sense that you're bothered by it. I guess for me, like, whether I know or not, I'm doing the same things. Um, we don't go anywhere. Right. We, you know, do curbside pickup for groceries. Um, we, I do take the kids to a park, um, depending what park. Um, like, if it's in Golden, even Bennett wears a mask, and he's so good now. He'll wear it the whole time. Yeah, for us. there. Yep. Um, he doesn't even care. Like, the other day, we went and cut down a tree out in the yeah. middle of the woods. And uh, he kept his mask on. He was like, I was like, babe, you can take your mask off. We were, I mean, we were on private property, and we were the only people out there. And I was like, you can take your mask off if you want. And he was like, no, I'm going to keep it on. It's keeping my face warm. <laughs> so, and I had mine on too, because it was keeping my face warm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, um, like it was too much for me. So I just had to let it, like, it doesn't change what I do. And then I have like one family that we do see me and her mask if we go inside, but we try to stay outside if it's warm enough. So, Yeah. I mean, I'm on these Zoom calls with kids during the day and like they are with other people who are not part of their family that they live with and then none of them are yeah. masked and they're all inside. Yeah. And then they and then they come to school the next day, you know, or, or two days later, or I see their parents posting on social media and I'm like, oh, so you all got together for Thanksgiving, but I didn't get to do anything I wanted for Thanksgiving. Cool. Awesome. Anyway, let's, can we not talk about COVID anymore? Yeah. yeah. Let me let me ask a question. Okay. <laughs> uh, a bit of a shift in the subject. <laughs> I'm sorry that I'm laughing. It's hard not to talk about COVID, but I also hate talking about COVID. Yeah, yeah. No, I gotcha. Um, I mean, if people only knew right before you called your sister, what were we doing? Bitching about COVID. Um... <laughs> um <laughs> All right, so the the question that immediately popped in my head when Lynn's told me what you did for work, um, when I was 18, um, my uncle passed away from a, like a very rare form of stomach cancer. Um, mm. And I remember he was diagnosed in July or August, and he passed away the day after Christmas. Um. And I remember the whole time, like him trying anything possible to fight it and be there. Um, and I remember he kept himself going till the day after Christmas because he didn't want his daughter's Christmas to be bad. Um, and it's always stuck with me. And I've always thought like, I just remember as a family, like it was a really like heavy traumatic event because we were all so close to my uncle Dana. So here I am now, 42, and I wonder, hmm, if I got hit with cancer like that, like, I don't think I'd want to put my family through that. What do you mean? Like, I, if it was a terminal form of cancer and I knew that I was going to go, and no matter what I did, like, I was going to go. Um, okay. I would want to go out on my own terms. Mm. So... You know, when Lynn's told me what you did, I was like, oh, awesome. I get to talk to somebody that has a perspective and understands what somebody's going through at the end of their life. So, sure. yeah. So that's, that's kind of my question. Like, you know, and I'll, I'll use myself as an example and I'm not jinxing myself, but I am knocking on wood. <clears throat> it, <laughs> if I was in my uncle's situation, diagnosed in August and passing away, 
Well, so August, you know, not even five months later, like, isn't it okay for me to decide, you know what? I don't want to struggle through this pain and I don't want my family to go through the same struggle with me. Shouldn't it be okay for me to say, yeah, I'm done. I'd like to end this now. But legally, it seems like you're just not, you're still not allowed to make that decision. I think so, some places you are. Yeah, we are just seeing a turnover, like a, a change in the last, I don't know, year. Okay. So it's called a made death medical aid in dying. Um, and all uh, these be- acronyms. Yeah. <laughs> before um, we uh, hospice couldn't be a part of it. And if you lived in a facility, you um, uh, you couldn't do it. Well, now you can. And now we can be a part of it. Hmm. Um, okay. It still does take, like, I think there's some hoops to jump through. You have to have, and, and honestly, because of the hours I work, I haven't been a part of any of it. Mm-hmm. So this might have changed, but the last I heard, you have to have um, two doctors like sign off saying that you understand the decision you're making and um, have to like meet with both of them and then also write something out about why you want to do this. Um, And so I write it ahead of time. You know, I'm not like what if you're not in your like, what if you aren't like up to snuff? Yeah. While you're on your deathbed. Yeah. I'm not sure about that. I'm going to put this in my had, living will. Yeah. We haven't had too many um, cases, but like before, like I said, we weren't even allowed on. Now, I would say probably this year, um, I've known of three or four that we've been a part of. So it's still not like a really big thing. Um, with our team anyway. Um, but at least it is happening. Or before it didn't, like people felt like it wasn't accessible. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like, so that's, that helps. does that yeah. make you feel better? Um, well, I, I, I mean, it's up to the state government. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I know in Maine, like it's, it's pretty difficult in Maine, but I know like, and it makes sense like Oregon, it's no problem, but also right. Oregon decriminalized like all drugs. So, you know, it, it, it's not something at a federal level where the federal government said, hey, you have this right. They leave it up to the state. Um, it's kind of funny. I think it was done subconsciously. Uh, I don't know, like two hours ago, like me telling Noel, like, hey, if I'm ever in a horrific accident and there's no brain activity, please just pull the cord. Like, don't, don't leave me there. Um, but yeah, I kind of, so, so have you ever been in a situation where it's like an end of life situation and they're like, Hey, can you just please like make this stop now? Or when you're involved, is it pretty much like, okay, they're, they're, they're going to be going. There's, we're just going to make them comfortable. Well, I mean, yeah, when I'm there, yeah, we're just going to make them comfortable, but Oh, gosh, countless families, so many families ask, can you just make this happen already? Can we give some extra medicine? Can you do some magic? Um, They just, like, don't want to see their loved ones suffer. 
Yeah. Right. Right. Because okay. it's uh, it's terrible to see, mm-hmm. and it goes on much longer than it should. Yeah. Um, and and even if that person's pain free, it's still not. You're not just sleeping. Like your breathing's weird. It sounds weird. It looks weird. It's very hard for families to watch. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they ask us a lot. Like, what can we do here? What can you do? <laughs> yeah. um, and um, you know, there's not much. We have to follow the doctor's orders um, on you know what to give, when to give, and um, you know, people just hang on, even if you know, even if we're giving 20 milligrams of morphine every hour. Um, they just keep holding on. It's really, um, it's, it can is really it their be physical body holding on or is it their spiritual body? Well, I think it depends on the case. Um, some people, it really seems like how you said your uncle held on till the day after Christmas. Yeah. That happens a lot where it's like, it's, it happens more often than it, than could be coincidental. Like, people wait till someone's coming to town, their daughter's mm-hmm. coming to town and somehow they just keep holding on until that person arrives. And I mean, that mm-hmm. person might get there to say hello. And then babies you know, do the same thing. Oh yeah. Babies, babies know when to come. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that happens a lot. Um, but then sometimes, I mean, somebody's been, let's even say they had dementia before they started dying. They, you know, their mind's long gone and their body just keeps hanging on. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I've, I've taken a lot of flack because I, I kind of have this view from my uncle dying. Like, Hey, just let me go. Like, (sighs) yeah, it's tough. Cause I wonder like, somebody a doctor or a nurse or like so i mean can you give your opinion when it comes comes to a situation like that like what is best for that person mm, you mean you mean uh if they could have a medical assistance death yeah or you know um, either medically assisted so that it's it's in a controlled environment painless like and, yeah. and the family's confident that they went in peace Instead of, I mean, you know, the other options could be much more violent and traumatic to the family. Sure. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, I am glad that there's um, now a medical way, even Mm. though it's not always obtainable. I I think that will become, I think the rules will keep lessening um, and it will be more obtainable when we reach that age of having to think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I've already seen them loosening and that's good because I have seen two cases where people had to resort to other methods only it didn't work oh. and um, that left them in a really ugly position yeah. um, so I'm glad that options there and I get it um, because yeah I mean, death is ugly, whether it's your body or your mind that goes first. Um, there's like nothing fun about it. It, it looks terrible. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering um, if it could be like, 
are there ways for it to be better? Like, are there ways for us to see it as not as ugly? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are some cases that it does look peaceful and okay. It just seems like for the family, because it takes so long. Yeah. It takes so long that it's just. And really we're not practiced at it. It's not, right. we, we don't it's not something in our culture that we often talk about or we often practice or we often even know what to do with because we prefer to avoid all of the uncomfortable anythings. Uh, And today, you know, we all live in different places. And before when let's say grandma was going to die, you would have all the kids there, maybe some of the grandkids. Um, Yeah. And she would be at home with everybody. Mm -hmm. People yeah. would take turns uh, sitting bedside, take turns making food. Yeah. Um, it was a real team effort. And now we all live in different places. And so maybe, you know, one person lives here and so that burden falls on them. Or maybe, you know, one or two other people come into town. But um, that, you know, most most people don't die at home anymore because it's expensive to keep people at home. Uh, Senior living is also expensive, but um, actually having someone 24 hours a day in home to care for them is even more expensive. Well, I think that's a problem. I don't think that it should be a privilege and only for the people who have enough wealth to be able to keep their loved ones at home if they want that. Yeah. Well, it is that's interesting to me because it's funny. Home birth is actually very affordable, and the perception is that it's more expensive. Um, yeah. But I think we could probably use our births as example. Like I know how much your hospital bill was, <laughs> and I know how much my home birth was. Yeah, and <laughs> I know I paid a lot less than you did. Yeah, and, definitely. And I got. I got continuous care by the same person. And then I got six weeks postpartum care with the same person. Yeah. And I saw her every week for six weeks. Mm-hmm. And you saw yours once after six weeks. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. interesting to me. So I'm, I'm wondering how much it would actually cost for in-home care. Yeah. You know, um, it costs a lot. Yeah. Um, and and the trouble is, before you didn't need that, but now that everyone lives in different places, you do need that. Right. However, I will say it makes me wonder. Um, I don't know if I should wonder this aloud, but I I will. Is um, a lot of our lower socioeconomic status families. Uh, do still have multi-generations living in the same household or nearby. Mm -hmm. And so um, I wonder if maybe they can keep them at home. I don't know the statistics on that. Um, Yeah. You know, I have a friend from India who, who, who also her in-laws and her parents ended up living with them as they were coming, you know, toward the end of their life. And um, the family just, like, all collectively, like, 
took turns taking care of of their elderly parents as they you know each kind of approached the end of life and they've all they've all passed now um but it was it was a team effort like you're saying yeah because everybody was right there I mean like think about it they passed away at home yeah think about like our family like what would we do we don't even we don't even live by anybody what would we do with them yeah and you live closer yeah I know (laughs) (laughs) I see what you're saying (laughs) Uh, I wouldn't put that solely on you Um, but... I might have to get over a few a few things first. Yeah. <laughs> or and then yeah, then you then you put like oh gosh all the um all the steps into all the, it. Yeah, all the history. Like, well, yeah, and all the uh, add-ons, family add-ons from extra marriages. Oh oh, step parents. Yeah. Those oh, steps. no, not my responsibility. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope, I have two two parents that I have yeah. like, some responsibility for. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, all right. You want to switch gears a little bit? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Let's switch okay. gears a little bit. Um. So can you talk about your sister's hairstyles growing up? Um, Oh, my God. That was a huge (laughs) joke. (laughs) You're the one that sent the picture. Can we talk about my hairstyles now? (laughs) (laughs) Just as bad. Uh, No, no. We can shift gears. (laughs) Sorry. I I have to pick on you just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> okay, I know, Sarah, it's because Lehman's seen, like, some some of our old pictures together. Yeah. Oh, they're incredible. They are. They're amazing. Yeah. Um, and it just takes me back to a simpler time <laughs> where we all had ridiculous haircuts. <laughs> I blame our mother. My mom thought that I would look really good with these short haircuts, and she had an idea of what that should look like, and I did not agree with her. There were many, many tears about my hair. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's normal. You didn't get short haircuts. Well, that's true. (laughs) But just so everyone knows, Sarah is the perfect child. (laughs) Not true. (laughs) Did you just roll your eyes? Yes, I did. Yeah, it's going to be amazing when you guys listen to this podcast. You can actually hear the eye rolling. Like it's, yeah, it you came across it, clear. Right? It yeah. wasn't just me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean. Okay, she might not be the perfect one, but she was definitely better than me for a while. I think right. she made up for a lot of time. Growing up, I did cause less problems if that's what you mean like less less riff <laughs> but, but this title can't stick with me forever well yeah the, i think I, I think i've made up for it well i no, think so yeah well what's funny so i'm in the same situation as lynn's i'm the oldest out of four so when you're the oldest your parents still have energy to deal with you um 
I just know like my my youngest sibling is 14 years younger than me. Oh wow. And like my dad's like, yeah, do what you want. Like I have no energy anymore. Um like they gave him a car. I'm like, what? You know, like all these things, like I had the curfews, I had the rules, I had all these things. And my dad's told me, he's like, yeah, you were the first kid. That's what happens. So I know we perceive that our siblings. But not only the rules, it was the, it was the expectation of how I was supposed to act and how, like, and how I was supposed to like be. Yeah. Well, you have to lead by example because you're the oldest. Right. And it's not, and now I will defend your sister. It's not, and I have the same problem. As the oldest, you have this perception that your siblings, like, ugh, they were the favorite. They were perfect. No, your parents are just tired and didn't want to deal with the bullshit anymore. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I swear to God, mom said that Sarah was easier. Huh. Okay. she. I do think she said that, but <laughs> I... Um, I think Jason's right. Um, because like my lasting memory of like our older childhood anyway, is like pretty much that I was left alone. Like no one was ever home. I just did whatever I wanted. No one was there. No one was watching. Yeah. So like, like high school, nobody was around. So of course I seemed perfect. There were no parents. Right. Um, so yeah, it was really easy to think that I was just wonderful. <laughs> and I was out of the house by then. Yeah. Uh, so I wasn't even around to, to tattle on you. <laughs> Not that I was a tattletale. <sighs> yeah. So what was it like to have me as the older sister? Yeah. That that's where we need to go. How was Linz as an older sister? Well, <laughs> was or is? Uh, well, I want to go back to younger Linz. So how how was she, you know? Sister, I warned Lehman that you have gigantic gaps in your memory of our oh, childhood. I, I really do. Well, I mean, just generally speaking, just listen to how differently we tell a story. I tell you like three <laughs> facts, the end, story's over. <laughs> she can remember all these details. Like, oh, oh yeah, okay, that sounds great. Um. But, okay, well, she took care of me, mm-hmm. you know, she, um, it was me and her much of the time when we were really little. And um, I remember having a lot of fun with her. We made like forts out of things that we found like on the side of the apartment. Oh, yeah, and, we had a papa Yeah, and we found sleds over there. And Oh, I just, forgot uh, about the sleds. Yeah, and they might have even just been like a cardboard box sled. I'm not sure, but whatever it was, <laughs> it was a sled. Okay. And, and so <laughs> she was awesome. And then high school came, and it was like little things like I wanted to borrow her clothes, and she was in high school, so she didn't want me to. <laughs> so then, you know, well, it was just in my defense. I had to buy my own clothes. Mom wasn't buying us stuff at that. Well, she wasn't buying me stuff at that point. She was like, buy it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So even... I, I felt like, oh, I, I bought those. Yeah. I don't want to share them. Well, and you're still for, like... like you were in fifth grade, you were in fifth grade and I was in eighth grade. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I felt like you might not take as as good a care of the clothes as I did. Right. <laughs> Hindsight makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, um, but you know, like, even in high school when, like, I just, like, looked up to you and wanted to be as cool as you were, you had such a reputation for being, like, it, like you weren't, like, with the cool kids, but, like, in my head, like, you were the coolest, like, almost in a rebellious, like, you were like the rebel, the cool rebel. <laughs> I was. But <laughs> so we only had one year of high school where we were both at the same school. And I had a first period, like, I don't even know what the hell it was. It was study hall, possibly, senior year. And Sarah was a freshman. And she had this history teacher. He was a new teacher. He was brand new out of college, Mr. Christensen. He was Sarah's history teacher. But he was, was my... Uh, well, apparently, but he was my, uh, I think it was a study hall and I would roll up like <laughs> I was not wanting to be awake because school started at, I think, 6.45 or 7 at that point, way early. And I, I, at that point, I finally had a, had a car that I bought for a thousand dollars and I drove Sarah and I to school and I would roll up. And Mr. Christensen, first thing in the morning, would be like, good morning, sunshine. <laughs> and I would just look at him like, shut the fuck up. And he would be like, why can't you be more like your sister? She's so nice and cheerful. <laughs> <laughs> People did. Like, I feel like the um, the staff would look at me like, all right, what are you going to pull? Like, you're, you're Lindsay's sister. What's coming next? <laughs> I was a good kid. I had really good grades, and all of my teachers, all of the teachers who taught me an actual subject, liked me. <laughs> I was also part. Of, I was involved in the sports team, so like all the coaches liked me. However, at that point in my life, I smoked cigarettes, and which is not something I'm proud of, but it was you know a thing. And I would leave campus to go smoke a cigarette and then I would come back to campus, but I was, I always got caught coming back. <laughs> and so there were a lot of phone calls to mom, like, Oh, we caught Lindsay coming in from having a cigarette again. And my mom would be like, okay, well, like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> I wasn't 18. Cause I didn't turn 18 until after like the day after I graduated. Um, but I, I definitely like, never followed all of the rules hmm. I still don't <laughs> I follow the one I follow most rules and I'm I'm but I still don't follow all the rules I think that's fair to say seems accurate <laughs> huh all right hmm. yeah but Sarah was like the she was like more agreeable for for grown-ups grown-ups perceived her as more agreeable uh, whether yeah. she actually agreed or not well even now that's just like you're just more outspoken and i would just rather be quiet you know but it's and... funny because you you have strong opinions about stuff and i get to hear it 
Like, you'll call me and tell me about stuff. Yeah. But you won't say it to, like, somebody else's face at the time where I will. Yes. (laughs) Which is, like, there's good and bad to both. Yes. Sarah and I both know that she's better at dealing with our mom than I am. Because she has a gentler tongue. Did you like my response today? I can't even. I haven't even responded. I can't (laughs) respond. Lehman, for the backstory on that, our mother sent us a text message. Uh A whole hour-long sermon. Wait. From a church in southwest Kansas. And she was like, girls, please listen to this message. And Sarah goes, I love you, Mom, but there is not an extra hour at this house for me to listen to this. No. I said... (laughs) No one here has an hour to listen to this. Love you, though. Or I love you, though, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> and I just haven't even bothered to respond because, like, I don't have anything nice to say about it. So I'm just choosing not to say anything. Wow. Hour-long sermon via text message. I would like to know what the... I'm curious, like, what she thought we needed to hear. And I'm offended just thinking about it. Yeah, I didn't even open it. I'm just assuming it's an hour because it's a sermon from their church. And uh, last thing she sent me was 55 minutes. Uh, Oh, right. When the doctors were sitting, the fake doctors were sitting at a conference room table telling us that COVID wasn't real. Yeah. Yeah, that was back in April, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's cute. Like one day, maybe we'll have that much time, but. I don't have an hour for that. No. So I'm not even going to look at, like, what the heading is. <laughs> I I might. I might look and see. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's a good thing to know. Like, you saw me as your, like, caregiver. Yeah, I did. And then I saw you as cool. And then... The distance grew as you got closer to being a senior and then you quickly moved away and I took that very personal. So then we were kind of distant, which just goes to show like how much I looked up to you. And then, um, and then you realized I didn't have a choice about how quickly I moved away. Yeah. And I think we had that conversation where I was like, hold on a sec. Cause like, I didn't just leave you. Yeah, I was asked to leave. Yeah, and <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I mean, I was and no I, longer I already, welcome. Well, I had abandonment issues already, and then, you know, and then you left, and yeah, I know. You know, it was so. quite traumatic for you and for me, I think. So, I left the day I turned eighteen. And I graduated the following day and Sarah didn't, I was not allowed at the house anymore. And I don't know if Sarah knew that at the time, but she just thought I ghosted her. Yeah. Hmm. It really felt that way. Yeah. And this was like pre me having a cell phone. There weren't like cell phones. Like it's, and you know, it's not like I could just like call her. Um, and we had just been, it just been the two of us for so long that I would imagine that once I left, that was a big shock. And then you were alone. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I was trying to go to college. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. But so, overall, yeah. Overall, it was good. Yeah, it was good. And then, um, and then, yeah, here we are. And it's, we have an interesting relationship because we're so different in many ways. But we're also the same in a lot of ways. I was trying to explain um, it to a coworker today whose birthday, by the way, is like six days ahead of yours. Same year, same yeah. month, mm-hmm. same birth time. And I was like, weird. Because I like, we get along so well. And I, and I was trying to explain to them, I was like, we're, we are nothing alike and so much alike. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't know how else to explain that to people. The yeah, way and- we approach a situation is very different. Mm-hmm. Even if the sentiment is the same. Yes. And I think we view, I think our values are the same. In terms of like, what is important. Yeah. And like, I think so. Yeah. How we want our, and I think especially we we realized how similar we were when we started raising our children very similarly. Yeah. And viewing our relationship with our children the same way and in a quite a different way than how we were raised. Right. I think us becoming moms really solidified that. I think so too. Yeah. And just like somehow, I'm not even sure how we ended up parenting this way. But yeah, it is so, yeah, our feelings about the whole thing are very similar. And so that's um, kind of the roots of it. I mean, and like everything else too, but that's like really strong right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Lehman and I can't, we don't have a conversation where like we don't talk about our kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> kind of it's again. It's not like you become a parent, you could just like, you never, you, we will never not be a parent. Like, our, that how will always be there. Yep. And so I, now it's yeah. a defining feature. Yeah. And just wait till you two have an 18 year old, it gets even more fun. Oh, yeah. Can you share with sister how your whole, you don't have to share the details of the conversation. I think that might be its own separate podcast. Yeah. (laughs) But maybe you could share like the, what it's like to have that person who is 18. Well, I mean. As a child. So legally, when you're 18, you're an adult. So at the end of the day, I mean, if my 18 year old son Noah wanted to, he could tell me to go like, Hey dad, fuck off and just leave. Um, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't No, And at the same time, I'm still his dad, but lately, like sometimes he'll talk to me like I'm his friend and it just weirds me out. Cause it's like, Hey, you remember I'm your dad, right? Like, <laughs> like, like I used to change your diapers. Don't talk to me like that. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, truly, you know, and I know it gets tough, especially with four-year-old, eight-month-old. Like, I remember that. Um, you guys are in the easy times right now. 
Like that's not true. It's no. so amazing right now for both of you. Um, right around, mm, I, I would really say right around middle school, it's gonna start to suck. Um, no way. Oh. Does it make sense? Oh, it's... <laughs> this is the sucking part. Yeah, no, it's it's not. Like if if you told me, hey. You have the choice of a teenager or a four-year-old. Who do you want to spend the day with? I'm spending the day with a four-year-old. Okay, I will say that having a four-year-old is pretty cool. Yep. It is a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And then a lot of not fun sometimes. True. Yeah. True. It's um, like a lot of anything. A lot of whatever the feeling is. It's yeah. a lot of it. It is. But... Also, too, as they get older and they can do more things on their own independently, like my son has his driver's license. So when he like drives somewhere, I'm like, oh, God, is he going to kill himself? <laughs> you know, is he going to get in a okay. car accident? I'm um, hearing that you're at the stage where you have to learn how to like let go more and more and more and more. Oh, which where I'm, we are still very much at the stage yeah. of like oh, I have to make sure you don't kill yourself yeah. or anyone else. Yeah. And I think I think the one that I'm having the toughest time with, and I get it from my dad telling me years later, like, he's 18, he's an adult, but he's still, like, my little boy. Yeah. But he can get somebody pregnant. Yeah. Uh, and that's the one where I'm like, oh, God damn. <laughs> I do worry about that. <laughs> like... I mean, not now, but I'm, I yeah. already know that I'll worry about that. Yeah. So just, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I will say a four-year-old, eight-month-old are more draining on energy. But I do feel the 18-year-old sends the stress levels way higher than the – because I, I also have a seven okay, and nine-year-old. Okay, I would I – would, I'll give you that. Yeah. The I se- can see that. Seven and nine-year-old are a walk in the park. Um, yeah. Though I'm looking I, forward to that walk. Oh, I do believe, though, my seven-year-old daughter is payback for something I did. <laughs> so, yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. Just get ready for everything to shift, like, when they turn 13. I think we know that, though. Sarah <sighs> watched me with my mom at that yeah. age. Yeah. Yeah. Yours didn't hit until later. Yeah. But my my pubescent years with with our mother were quite ugly. <laughs> I don't think it's totally my fault or my mom's fault, to be honest. I think a lot of it had to do with who she was married to at the time. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, but it's still. Yeah. Well, you have a boy, so it'll be different. Yes, that's what I've heard. Yeah. Our really our relationship will be different than like a daughter mother relationship. Yeah. 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 Well, sister, is there anything you want to add to like Yeah. I don't know, let people know about me or you or us or nursing or Hmm. I feel like we should let you go to sleep. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, that's perfect. Also, I have to work. I have to work in the morning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so does Lehman, and he wakes up way before me. Uh, oh, gosh. No, I'm at the end of the year with my job, so um, hopefully oh. nobody from my job is listening. But, yeah, it's been amazing. I get to screw off now. <laughs> oh, nice. You save all those days. Yeah, yeah, I have all that vacation time and also like my I've hit my numbers for my whole year now. Oh wow. So I'm just like, all right, I'll do whatever. <laughs> so Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll be singing that tune in June. Yes, you will. Mm-hmm. I'll be like, I'm at the beach already. Are you still working? And I will and say be yes. like ten AM. <laughs> yeah. Uh <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Sorry, sister. I, I asked you a question, then I interrupted. Oh, that's okay. I, I have really nothing else to say. Thank um, you so much for being our first guest. Yeah, thank you. Oh, it was awesome. Sure. Yeah. I think I really enjoyed having you on, and I know this season we have plans for more people to be on. Yep. Um, and I think it's good, because, like, Lehman and I have opinions about stuff, but, like, as we say in the intro, like we we are not the experts. Nope. But you know, I think you have opinions, but now you also have like this field of expertise that we got to see into a little window of it today. So thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Oh. All right. So that's all for now. We'd love to continue the conversation with you listeners at Lehman and Lynn's at gmail.com or on Instagram at Opine Nation. Join us next week when we opine about another tough and humorous life topic.